This is the Midweeks. I'm back! Not from the dead, but just on the Midweeks. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for including this in part of your day. I want to shift things up a little bit. I want to start with the Do Your Faith section. We're going to go and hit up James, and then I want to talk about some weird political contrasts between the U.S. and Canada. And then I want to end by um, just sharing some thoughts from a writer named Theodore Dolly Rample, which I think his real name is Anthony Daniels. And if that doesn't already pique your interest, maybe I will have at least talked you into just finishing this podcast off. Um, If there's anybody out there who's an iTunes user, we have our iTunes subscription up and running now for the midweek. So you can go onto iTunes and just search for The Midweeks with Pastor Rob, and you should be able to subscribe there. Otherwise, on our thecalvarywebsite.com site, there are some links for iTunes, as well as we're putting the podcast onto YouTube for people who um, download off of YouTube or listen to YouTube more frequently than going on a church website. We're going to post things on there as much as we're able for your listening pleasure, but there won't be any visuals, so I'm not going to spoil your day with a close-up of my face or recent haircut. Instead, you can just uh, listen along with some kind of graphic posted there. But without any further ado, let's get on with James. The book of James in a series I'm calling Do Your Faith. Uh, As I read through the book of James, I'm becoming more and more convinced that James is convinced that you can always do something to show your faith. No matter where you're at, you can always, as a Christian, do something to show your faith. And this is one of the trials of life, is that um, we, as Christians, you know, we we know what we believe, and often we have a sense of what the right thing to do is, but often we don't want to do it because it's hard, or we're angry, or we're frustrated, um, or sometimes challenges come, and we can feel uh, trapped, or we can feel... Uh, nullified, we can feel stuck. James is convinced that you can always do something to show your faith. And so this entire book is just James saying, hey, do your faith. And we just finished a big section on perseverance. And now we're going to start with a couple of simple ways to apply God's word. I think this is what this section is from verse 19 through to the end of chapter one. It's about wrestling through with applying God's word. So this is what James says. We're going to just read a few verses because this is all we need. Verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. It will stop there. That's at the end of verse 21. This passage has been for me uh, kind of my life verse for the last little bit, not my entire life, for the last few months. Um, And so I just want to point out some things. Number one, James is calling people in love. Know this, my beloved brother. So there's a section later on where he calls his listeners adult and uh, so that's not a compliment and he's really zinging them there but when he says this he's saying it as beloved brothers he's being part of the family and he's expressing love and he says know this and then he says let every person be quick to hear slow to anger slow to speak and slow to anger for the 
anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So essentially, he's, he's wanting to deal with the fact that human beings in general are pretty quick to anger. When we don't get what we want, when things don't go how we want, uh, when we're called to persevere during a trial, we would rather often get angry. This is one of my uh, ongoing besetting sins and character faults is that when I don't know what to do, I often get angry. And, um, and so God's talking to me through this. And he says that every person, so that's you and me, it's everyone. This is a command for everyone, not just husbands, not just wives, not just kids. This is a command for everyone. He says, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. So why does he say that? Well, it's usually the other way around, right? We're usually slow to hear, slow to listen, quick to speak, and quick to get angry. That's human nature apart from the Holy Spirit. That's human nature apart from God. That's the fallen nature. We're quick to anger, quick to speak, and slow to listen. And James is calling us to a reverse lifestyle because of the Word of God. Actually, be quick to listen, be quick to speak, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And so this is a lifestyle. This is a lifestyle that shows our faith. And so why, what is the theological underpinnings, the Christian underpinnings of, of a lifestyle of being quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger? Well, it's this. It's knowing that the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So what does this mean? The righteousness of God here isn't referring to the gift of righteousness we get from Jesus. When someone comes to Christ and they confess their sins, they say, I need God, and they come to Jesus to be their Savior, God gifts them by faith his righteousness. It's called being justified, and God gifts undeserved and unearned righteousness to people so that they can stand in his presence and so they can walk with him apart from judgment so they can be rescued from the wrath to come. This isn't talking about that. It's not saying that if you uh, are slow to anger, you'll start producing the righteousness of God that saves you. Instead, what it's talking about is the kind of life that is righteous in God's sight, the actual behavior, not the gift, but the actual outworking of it is not produced by people's people being angry in a sinful way. If I'm angry, I'm not going to act in a righteous way. If I'm angry with the anger of man, and if I'm angry at people, they're not going to respond with, uh, the, with a kind of life that pleases God. They're not going to act righteously in God. They might get defensive. They might do the outward motions of it. But the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Or So what James is saying in a rewording, according to me, the kind of behavior in yourself and others that is the kind of behavior that doesn't provoke anger out of you, isn't going to be produced by you being angry. It's going to be produced by you showing love, essentially, and showing your faith by being quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. So good listeners who keep on their temper with the help of the Holy Spirit actually help themselves and other people display righteousness by faith. That's what's being said here. And so, because we know this is true, you can never blow your top and produce good in the world. You can never have a rage fit and produce um, joy and faith and godliness in your life or family or workplace. He says instead, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So, saying the word of Christ, the gospel of Christ, um, the whole package comes with the power to help you put away this stuff. 
It's able to save your souls. It's able to transform you. So we, we believe in Jesus. We believe in him raised from the dead. We believe he's called us out of a life of death and unrighteousness into a life controlled by the Holy Spirit that perseveres in sufferings. And if we will receive this word and really apply it to our souls and use the truth of God's word to root out lies and to root out brain snakes and to root out filthiness and rampant wickedness, we will be transformed. But it's not going to happen by giving in to being slow to listen and quick to speak and quick to get angry. And this is James. Do your faith. Political observations. And this is kind of big picture stuff, but... I want to call this section Never Saw It Coming because I just want to compare um, the leaders of the two North American countries. That's assuming that Mexico is kind of borderline Central America. You know what? If the geography is that it's in North America, I mean, two of the three then. Uh, So Trump and Trudeau, President Trump and Prime Minister Trudeau, it's weird that they both actually have the same three first letters of their names. And I noticed that they had some parallel and opposite things happening in their, uh, their jobs really recently. And what happened was this. If you're an American listening, uh, fairly recently, the, uh, the, the Minister of Justice, which is about one of the highest political offices in Canada, and it's the political p- person in charge of justice issues in Canada, um, she was kind of demoted, kicked out of her role, and it came out that she was being pressured to change a decision in a court case. And there was a company in Canada called SNC-Lavalin, which was uh, going to be tried for breaking the law in many different ways, in a few different ways. And the current government had made a legal provision, created a new law that said instead of being found guilty, Um, a large company can instead just pay a fine. And the issue was this. If this company was found guilty of breaking Canadian law, then they would no longer be able to bid on government jobs. And so a whole area of government work would no longer be uh, uh, available for bidding for this company, and it would cost jobs. And this company had already been found guilty of breaking the law, and I think in the European Union or something like that. So they're already not able to bid on contracts internationally in some areas. But the Canadian government was trying to keep them from having those convictions happen in Canada as well, to keep them from participating in the job market because this company is a Quebec company. Um, And partially because the prime minister is from this area, and so he was kind of trying to protect jobs in his hometown. But even though they created this law that allowed um, an official in the government to find them instead of finding them guilty, that official chose not to do that or allow them to do that. That official was going to just say, no, you have to go to court or you're going to be found guilty. And so the prime minister's office was pressuring um, the minister of justice to overturn that decision so that this whole thing could work and the company could escape from being found guilty for these things that they are guilty of, but in a way as to try to keep the company going. Now, that story broke at the same time that President Trump was having his personal lawyer uh, brought before government in order to testify about Trump. And so it was just so weird this moment where the Minister of Justice was testifying about um, bad things that our prime minister had done, as well as the president's personal lawyer was testifying about bad things the president had done. Um, it was happening at the exact same time. This was a few months ago. And the weird thing was, is that um, 
you would you kind of would think by these public personas that Trump would actually be the one who would be really found guilty for what was happening, and our prime minister, who's you know presents himself as kind of the nice guy and the clean cut guy and the hero, um, would not be found guilty. But it's actually turned out the opposite. So. Um, our ethics commissioner just re- released his report to find out, and he stated that, yeah, the prime minister did totally break the law by trying to do this, trying to pressure the justice minister to do this stuff and to use his power to interfere in um, justice-related things, which are which is a huge issue in a democracy. So anyhow, the, the ethics commissioner found the prime minister had uh, broken the law here. And so, and then I just contrast that with the whole um, uh, Mueller investigation that concluded, you know, a few weeks ago, but fairly recently. And, um, you know, I know that they said that he was not exonerated by the Mueller investigation, but the reality is, is that, like, they couldn't pin it all on Trump what they were hoping to. Um, every All the accusations were not founded well enough to... Um, conclude that he had broken the law. Maybe there's a couple times where he said some stuff and commanded people to do stuff, but they didn't do it, which is what you don't do. And uh, which is, and this all just contrasts with our Canadian politics. Um, you know, just according to the media or even just reading personalities, you would think that Trump, yeah, did, was, did something go bad with Trump there? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, did Trudeau do anything wrong? No, he's a nice guy. It was the actually the opposite, where... Trump was found to actually not have been guilty, and uh, our guy was. And so that's just weird. And, you know, you, I never saw it coming. And the most recent thing that I'm kind of thinking about was that our government wanted a, uh, uh, an opportunity, or not our government, but people in our government wanted an opportunity to talk to the ethics commissioner who produced this document saying that the prime minister had broken the law. And... The way our Canadian politics work is that the majority government can just vote to shut down any kind of ethics meeting. And so the ethics commissioner was there ready to get interviewed and to talk about his report and answer questions. And the, uh, the, the government party in charge just voted to have that not happen. They just said, no, we're going to close the meeting and it got closed down. And then for me, I contrast that with, you know, in all honesty... Uh, President Trump really did not interfere with the investigations into him. I was actually really surprised at the amount of transparency with the investigations to the point that the the Mueller report is actually you can buy it on Amazon. It's you can buy it. I think I even saw it in like Walmart, very <laughs> cheap. So this huge investigation that was there to like discover every bad thing ever about Trump. Um, he probably could have stopped it. I think threatened to sometimes, maybe even said someone should one time or two, but it didn't happen. Um, the obstruction of justice ideas, that's what it is. Uh, it didn't happen. But our government is actually doing something to obstruct an inquiry into what happened. So I'm just pointing these things out um, to say, you know, we need to pray. And uh, didn't, see, didn't see this kind of stuff happening. And I... I have a hard time seeing this stuff without seeing the hand of providence going on. Um, God is in control. And if you read through the Bible, a lot of the books of the Bible are about God dealing with 
the world leaders. Uh, you don't actually want to be the leader of a nation because you're in God's crosshairs all the time. Um, God's rule for governing the earth is essentially God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And in some senses, you would th- not totally think how it worked was, but I kind of think for all the fighting and all the things that Trump said, he actually submitted to the rule of law for this. It's bizarrely so in a lot of ways. He just submitted to the rule of law with these investigations and stuff. And he says a lot of things when he doesn't like it, but he doesn't actually interfere with justice stuff and doesn't interfere with the investigations, whereas our government actually has. The report just came out that he he was doing that stuff. And then when it was time to interview the person who put out the report, it was interfered, like justice coming to light was interfered with. And so... I don't know how things are going to work here, but I just, I, it's hard not to think God really is in control of this stuff and he's in control of information and when it comes out and how it comes out. And as we in Canada head into a federal election and a provincial election, my prayer is, God, would you give us righteous leaders? We don't deserve it and we can't earn it, but by grace, would you give us leaders we don't deserve and would you do good through them? Any leader, even if you have the best leader in the world and put them in a great position, they can fall. And so they actually need grace by God, from God to uphold them. They need God's shepherding hand. They need God's confronting hand. They need God's ability to even do anything good in the world. So I never saw this coming. It is a weird time to be alive, I tell you. All right. And finally, I just want to end with um, just a little note about how much I enjoy this author. His name... I think is Anthony Daniels, and I think he's written under the pseudonym of um, Theodore Dalyrimple. And he's this uh, doctor who worked in a hospital and a prison in England for many, many years and wrote just prolifically about it. Um, And one of the insights I think is really helpful that I've just gleaned from uh, reading his stuff is um, the idea of evasive thinking. And he has a book called Admiral admirable evasions and the big idea came from this he noticed that whenever he was dealing with someone who had murdered somebody so he dealt with murders through the prison through the hospital and he noticed that very regularly if not always um, when people had murdered somebody else when they finally described what they had done they would say something like the knife went in they wouldn't say, I stabbed this person to death. They would actually depersonalize it to say, you know, I got really angry and I saw red and I grabbed a knife and the knife went in and now they're dead. And he said he was talking to his wife, who's also a doctor about this. And she was like, nah, come on, is this really? And then sometime later, his wife was actually interviewing a, a, a murderer and she said the exact same, the knife went in. And he was just making this really I think interesting and true observation that people use words to defend their thoughts and feelings and emotions. It's easier to say the knife went in than to say I stabbed someone to death or I murdered them. It's just easier to. It's mentally and psychologically easier to make the words come out like that and to say, well, it's actually the the knife did it. You know, I know it was in my hand, but the knife did it. And so I just... This is actually of really practical use personally and really practical use pastorally. If you listen to how people talk, uh, they say a lot by how they describe things. And 
it is very difficult to be completely honest. You know, I know it, people ask you, how are you doing today? Fine, that, that's fine. But I'm talking about when it's time to actually be really honest. We use our words to conceal ourselves, to conceal our motives, to protect our emotions, to protect our minds, to protect our ego, egos, to protect ourselves from saying things like, I sinned. We won't say, I sinned. We'll say, I made a mistake. Or one of the ones that I notice that comes up a lot is that when people start talking about um, their faults and failures, they won't say, I have a hard time getting, when I get angry, when this happens, I get angry. They say, you know how it is, you come home and you see the cars that the kids have left on the ground, and then you get angry, and they're actually with their words saying, you get angry when you see this, instead of saying, I get angry when I see this. And there's this, I just found this insight really helpful. I, I, and I try to listen to myself more, and I notice it when I'm listening to people. We use our words to protect ourselves from the truth, which is not good. Um, you could almost go back and start with James. We need the truth, because if we don't face the truth, we don't change. If we don't know the truth, we don't know God. And if we can't speak truly, we're not speaking honestly. We're not going to change anything. And I think this goes back to the fall. Do you remember in the Garden of Eden, um, Satan twisted the truth in order to seduce the woman into eating the fruit and to hand it off to her husband. First, it's, did God really say you would die? And she said, yeah, but if we eat the fruit and if we touch it, we die, which wasn't true. And he said, and then he denied the truth. It's not true that you'll die. Instead, you'll be like God's, which is a half truth. They became more like God by knowing good and evil, but they knew it from the sin side now. Before they were like God, they were made in God's image and they knew good and evil. They could know it from the good side, but now they knew it more, but not in a good way. And it's true they didn't die right away, but they eventually did. But they died spiritually to God. Now, when God comes and starts talking to them and they hide in the bushes with the fig leaves and God starts asking what happens, neither one of Adam and Eve say, I sinned against you by eating the fruit. They both say, uh, they blame shift, right? They, they say, the woman that you gave to me. So the woman, it's her fault that you gave to me. It's your fault, God. She gave me the fruit and I ate it. And when he talks to women, it's the snake deceived me and I ate. And so they both do that. They both used their words to <clears throat> manipulate the truth in order to try to protect themselves. And you know what the truth was? They would have been safer just giving the whole truth to God. God is a God of, uh, who responds to repentance, who responds to telling the truth, who responds to confession. If you confess the truth, God will respond with grace. That's how he is. He opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. And using our words to protect ourselves and conceal um, our guilt is pride. It's just pride. It's thinking we can get away with lying. But if we humble ourselves and speak the truth, God's with us for grace. And so I just found it so interesting that he made this observation. Criminals and murderers don't like to tell the truth about what they've done. They use admirable evasions in order to protect themselves and ultimately to not have to change. And as Christians, we should see that. We, we should just assume, I'm going to do that. And so what can I do to not do that? That's the big question for us. And may the Lord help us be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to anger so that we can participate in bringing about the righteousness of God in our day and age. Well, the Lord be with you and you be blessed uh, wherever you're at. I, I hope that you have a good day in Christ and be blessed.